This episode is brought to you by RCAT. You've heard us talk about RCAT in our podcast by now, and hopefully you've had time to visit their site. This is a great tool for you, from small architecture firms to government agencies. Everyone can benefit from what they've created. The content libraries in RCAT are huge and full of free content. CAD, BIM, specifications, and more. Why is this important to you? Because RCAT has done all the work for you. Need a spec? It's in the CSI three-part master format and available in multiple file formats. And this is just one example. RCAT has tons of building product content ready for you to use. It's all free and you don't have to register to download content. If you use other sites like we have, you must register to get content. Why bother with that? Go to this episode's sponsor, RCAT, and visit them at ARCAT.com. We are also brought to you by HMC Architects. Learn more about them at hmcarchitects.com. Let's give them a listen. Ontario, California may not strike visitors as an upscale destination, but the Greater Ontario Convention and Visitors Bureau wants to change that, so they partnered with HMC Architects to modernize and rebrand. Hi, this is Kyle Peterson. I'm an architect at HMC Architects Ontario, California studio. Meet, explore, and connect in tomorrow's west. That's the vision we're aspiring to when redesigning three of Ontario's tourist destinations. The California Welcome Center in Ontario Mills. Not your average map and brochure stop. It's a tech-savvy destination to book hotels, buy theme park tickets, and explore dining options. With crisp, modern interiors, visitors can soak up the Wi-Fi and the Inland Empire vibe. The Ontario Welcome Center is at Ontario International Airport. Our design blends native materials and bright colors to encourage visitors to stop in and learn more about the region. And the new cafe and outdoor courtyard at the Ontario Convention Center. Cafe Connect is cooking up hot breakfast sandwiches, premium coffee, and grab-and-go items. With a comfortable outdoor courtyard, convention attendees can eat, relax, and enjoy Ontario's sunny skies. First impressions are everything, and we're using architecture to redefine that moment when a visitor arrives in Ontario for the first time. At HMC Architects, we believe that a successful design is one that ultimately enriches our communities. To become part of our story, visit hmcarchitects.com. Welcome to Archispeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 115 of the Archispeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And to get us started off uh, for this episode, Cormac, you brought up an interesting topic that you've been uh, kind of struggling with or asking us about uh, recently. So why don't you get us started tonight and, and talk a little bit about what that struggle's been? Sure. <laughs> that struggle. All right. Sure. Um, so... Kind of in the office, we've been talking about, well, just kind of a broad painting of the picture. We've been doing what's now called a integrated design practice, where we're taking what used to be compartmentalized um, design studios, student life, and then we have our arts and sciences and, and all these other different kind of general practice ones. We're kind of merging them together. And... Um, as we're doing that, you know, we're going after more projects and we're hiring more people and things like that. And so one of the things that we've been talking about a lot and what seems to be somewhat of a struggle with is 
mentorship and how do we onboard people, you know, as they're coming out of school or to our firm. And, um, and so I kind of was interested in thinking about how we were onboarded, how we were mentored and what it was like when we were fresh out of school and, and how did we learn what we've gained knowledge wise and, and how does, how did that translate into how we mentor people now, how we teach people now, how we do OJT with them and things like that. And so just kind of wanted to kind of pose that question to you guys is like, how were you mentored? How did they, you know, deal with little fresh out of the um, school of yelling at clouds, uh, Neil Pan? (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait a minute. So, so if you want my version, Cormac, I mean, my version is probably very different from some, some, of our listeners uh, that the fact that, you know, I did it a few years ago. So a couple of different things first off to answer I that think question. You're mis- Wait real, real quick though. I think you're misunderstanding the word few. <laughs> usually like three, four, maybe a few decades. How's that? <laughs> Is that All better right. for oh, you? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get you now. No. So, I mean, when I, when I, I first started working for an architect right out of high school and there really wasn't, uh, it was a sole proprietor, so there really wasn't a mentorship, any sort of official uh, sort of policy or practice or anything like that. I mean, we just, I just worked for him, and I kind of learned how to draft or how to do, you know, simple little projects or things that we were doing at the time. Um, well, and so that there was that aspect of my career, and then there was one a little bit later after school when I graduated and started working for a, a, a larger firm. And at first there really wasn't any sort of learning onboarding any, anything like that, because we were still doing it all by hand at that point. And slowly we started using, using a, uh, the computers to, to draft. And so the, at the time, so that's, that's kind of the part one, but part two, what I was going to get at is that the official onboarding <laughs> official mentor learning process, at least of that part was you sat in one of the principal's offices and he threw the 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 the, the book for the uh the software in front of you and said okay uh start going through that and I'm here plan checking drawings and if you have questions I'm here to ask and that was that was kind of the you sat in his office for 3 or 4 weeks kind of doing that and slowly you know branching up and starting to do little you know parts of projects and things and then you kind of were shoveled off to your own desk and you kept going. So there were, that was the official learning process, but on the larger scope of kind of mentorship, um, which is, I want to get back and ask you this because I want to, I want to ask what mentorship means to each of you, because it's always been something that has intrigued me or mystified me almost because and it may have something to do with how I entered the industry and how I kept working through the industry in smaller firms at first, a couple of several sole proprietors and one office that was only like four people at the time. And so I, I think I have a very different view of mentorship than maybe some people, but maybe my experience was everybody else's definition of mentorship. So I mean that's kind of say that this, it sounded nothing different than what you just said well that's what i'm curious i mean i only know my my own experience of course and and what we've talked about over the years on this show but but what i'm curious is i i hear other people talking about 
uh, having a mentor or um, being a mentor. And I really kind of, I'm being very honest. I, I'm not sure I understand what that means. To me, um, mentorship is the deliberate guided and, and I'm trying not to do like a, a Webster type definition of it, but, um, it's a, a deliberate guided educational process. I mean, that a firm is pairing a new person up with a, an experienced person and they're just kind of showing them the ropes of how to do certain things, where to find information about things, sort of back up a little bit before I kind of whether or not I've even answered it or can answer it is very similar situation. Neil is like right after graduation. Um, when I started working for a smaller firm, uh, it was five people and it was five people plus two principals. So seven people. And I was asked basically to, to start working on a small project and start cutting wall sections. I mean, I just got out of school. I kind of sort of know what a wall section is, but to know what I'm expected in a professional environment on what a wall section was, had no real clue. Had no one there to really teach me. And so I go and I ask my boss. He hands me um, architectural graphic standards and says, (laughs) you figure it out. You start working on it. Come back to me tomorrow uh, with what you've come up with and then we'll talk about what you've done right what you've done wrong and we'll figure it out from there but I want you to start to guide your own education where to look for the right things and and he was all he literally was kind of a by the book sort of guy and what I mean by that was is that he basically said you will find it in these books. You will find it in the suites catalogs. You will find it, the architectural graphic standards, or you'll find it in whatever Ching book that we've got floating around. You will find it somewhere. And if it doesn't exist, what you'll do is you'll try to figure out how to make it up and then go back and find the science to make sure it's right. And and so that was really, my mentorship was somewhat of a self-guided uh, mentorship Whereas I really didn't have anybody sitting next to me or throwing a uh, CAD manual at me sitting there and saying, just go at it, kid. Uh, So that's that's not too different from what a lot of the millennial generation deals with today. And and instead of a a book, it's just it's Google or whatever. It it is, you know, or our cat. And I don't. Yeah, I don't I don't think that that's necessarily the right answer. I I, I don't I I totally get I totally get why it happens. But to me, like to try to answer Neil's question, to me, it's a relationship and it's an investment. And it's not, I don't think that it should be treated so just cut and dry, informational, uh, almost like, like, and, and, and I know there's a distinction here, like with what you're saying, Cormac, which is like, you figure it out and then you can come back and ask questions and we'll, we'll kind of go over the, the small stuff together. But I, I feel like it's it's much more than a you're bothering me kind of a thing, you know, or it, I don't have time know. for this. I don't have, I don't want to put words in your mouth because I don't I wasn't there, but that's how it kind of comes across and I think people do have that experience. So well, yeah. I don't think that that's totally invalid, but I, invalid, but I think that if if it is that kind of a a thing, then it's not the right kind of thing. So let me go back to why I kind of wanted to 
talk about this topic and you actually hit it very perfectly on the head. It's the way that we start to onboard people, most specifically new hires right out of, of college, that they've got their degree, they've got the wide eyes, they're ready to get in and start getting their hands dirty. The problem is, is that we're just not ready for them. And so we kind of throw them into situations where they're not, they're not learning what they could be learning or they're not experiencing what they could be experiencing. And that's when disillusion happens. Yeah. And that's when they start to, you know, say, was this really what I want to do is, you know, just kind of sit here and kind of spin my wheels or, Oh, look, you know, they've got another graphic design thing for me to do where I'm get to doing some Photoshop because, Hey, look, the new kid knows how to do Photoshop or the new kid knows how to do SketchUp or something like that. And, and we just kind of put them in kind of these like almost monotonous menial kind of tasks rather than really kind of helping them get into the meat of what they got into architecture for in the first place. Well, the only way that it's ever going to be the antithesis of that is it you're going to have to have a plan. So it right. can't just it can't just be oh my god they're here. <laughs> what are we going to do with them? <laughs> exactly. Which uh, is where the struggle comes from. Yeah, so so you've got to your your company has and and this goes for any company. You've got to have a plan. And then this is something that we've kind of started to do and and so it's it's funny cuz you're you're a 100-year-old firm or a 75-year-old firm and and we don't have this completely figured out. But I don't think it's it's not an impossible task to figure out, and I think that with some intention to to f- onboard people and make them feel like they're doing meaningful, productive work, and they're not just kind of treading water, and people are just playing hot potato with that person. You've got to have a plan in place on how they're going to figure out where they fit in at your firm if they weren't hired for something very specific. If they're hired to fill a position because you need bodies to do things, you don't know what their strengths are. You don't know what their weaknesses are. You don't know who they work well with. You don't know their personality type too well. I mean, all you've been through is one or two or maybe three interviews. I mean, it's not, you don't know what they're like. And so there's got to be kind of this initial process to figure out what that is. And I feel like if that's an intentional process and people do kind of move around and work with different people and figure out what that works. And then you can ask them, so, so how to go, what did you like? What, what needs to happen here for for you? Where do you want to begin, right? Your career. And I think that that's a, a totally great way to start to approach it. I, that didn't happen for me. I, I'm so, so I think that, you know, we're all kind of trying to figure this out as we go along. So how did it happen for you? Well, I was interning, when I was in school and I, I started out just in any position I could get a job in. And I feel like I wasn't doing architecture when I, I was working in an architect's office, but I was doing entitlements, which is a, a fancy word for saying funding for school projects. And so I, I basically did spreadsheets when I started interning. So talk about like not matching up the skill set to what you're being trained to do in school. I mean, I was the poster child for that. I was just doing whatever they told me to do. And it was basically the exact thing that you were just talking about. Oh, crap, they're here. What do we have for them today? So it was a very exactly. re- reactive process. It was There was no intention to it. And so when I, I started off doing that and I showed, hey, yep, I can work a computer. I can do this. I can do that. And, you know, this is back in the early to mid-90s. And, and then I started drawing these 
plan diagrams. So I, I learned CAD. And that's when I actually started to get mentored was with kind of our lead CAD person at the firm at that time. I went through two weeks of intensive training, so I wasn't being trained out of a book, which I felt was like extremely valuable because I could actually use those skills back in school because we didn't have formal CAD classes. We all drew by hand. Um, and this, that actually kind of kick-started me into doing 3D modeling and CAD drafting in school too, so it helped me there. So it was kind of a, a two-way street now. Um, so that that mentorship, I think, really helped. And, and I, I remember this one specific day in CAD training when, you know, the sc- it was MicroStation. The screen was covered in icons, right? Because it was completely icon driven. It wasn't command line driven. And, and the guy was like, okay, use, do push that button that does this thing. And I'm like, I can't find it. You know, there's, there's <laughs> 200 icons. He's like, yeah. sure you can. And he just sat there. Yeah. And it basically it was telling me like, you've got to put the effort in. Also, right. I can't just right. sit here. I'm not just going to tell you step by step what to do. We're we're working together, and I I kind of felt like that that was great. I I totally took that and ran with it, and I felt like yep, you're, he's totally right. Like I'm not going to cop out and just do the easy thing. I'm just gonna I'm gonna figure it out, and and that is just one small example of kind of the relationship that we had, where he was not going to completely hold my hand as I did every little thing which is kind of what you guys are saying too when when you started off, right? I mean, but it was it was a little more harsh than that. It was like, here's the book, here's the Photoshop Bible, learn Photoshop or whatever, um, AutoCAD. And it, and so I I feel like like where did it go from there? It went all over the place and I think eventually I found somebody who really wanted to help me become an architect and not just fulfill a job role. And ultimately, the relationship got to a point where we were it wasn't a mentor-mentee. It was a mentor-mentor process where we were sharing. We would call each other for advice all the time. And so he would call me and ask me for advice, and I would call him and ask him for advice. And to me, that's the best kind of mentorship that that can happen if you can find the right fit, the right match for you, is that it's going to be a mentor-mentor relationship. So, So really, I'm mentoring up. And, or I guess we're just mentoring across because because there's not this stigma of here's the person who knows everything and here's the the peon. It's not that at all. It, it became a relationship where I added value to his life and he added value to my life or professional career, whatever you want to say. It. Evan, that I think that's fantastic. I mean, you you found you found something that was fulfilling to you and fulfilling to the person who was mentoring you and, and helping you. You know, when you bring that up, it does remind me of the people I worked with and or for. I guess I didn't really see the learning process as a mentor, mentor e sort of uh, process, but that's probably what I experienced. I I think I experienced a lot more of the um, figure it out sort of stage. Uh, but one thing that came to mind when you were talking about that for me was there was a gentleman, in fact, the same gentleman who was the, you know, here's the book, learn. And I mentioned earlier, he did plan checking in our office. So he plan checked everything and he did it in such a way that he would 
you know, if there was a detail you had drawn wrong, he would sketch it right next to it. And, you know, if there were, if there were notes that were maybe written incorrectly or needed to be written properly or dimensioning kind of maybe the way you had dimensioned it was not say the proper way he would actually draw it next to you. And, but what, so that, I mean, that's it, it, beyond just being red lines for you to pick up. What he would do is that when he was done with the, the plan check, he would call you, you know, he would schedule a time and then you would go sit in his office and you'd sit down for half an hour or an hour and he would walk you through everything that he did and why he did it. And I didn't probably realize it at the time because of course you're when you do, when you turn in a project, you're hoping, Oh, okay. I hope I did everything right. Or at least if you knew you did something wrong, uh, you knew where it was going to be, or maybe you you didn't have time to do something um, and mark, mark up or fill up all the details or something. But it was a really important process because I probably learned so much more through that process. So to me, I never really thought of him as a mentor, but that's certainly what he was doing, uh, whether it was necessarily intentional or not. Yeah, I think that that kind of shows leadership, right? Because what, what that person's doing is they're not necessarily just handing you a thing that says, here's how I did it. Right. Or even, or even an experience or whatever. They're not just saying, well, this is how I did it, but they're actually tailoring it. They're tailoring a, an experience for you that's saying, this is what you could do. This is how you can do it. You know, we, we all know that there's lots of ways to do things. And I think that if you have a relationship with somebody who can tailor it to you and how you think, or maybe they can remove a barrier that's specific to you, then that is a really great mentorship kind of relationship that you've got with that person. And so if they're actually taking the time to sit down with you and invest in you and show you why it works this certain way, that's a really good clue that that person has taken that interest in you and that there's that potential there to become that mentor-mentee or mentor-mentor relationship. That to me is a mentor process right there is sitting down with the the newer person and experience, however we want to phrase it, and going through on the whys we do what we do. And why is this relationship with this door and, you know, this hold off the wall and why do we do that? You know, I mean we it was interesting is, you know, we had a conversation in the office just the other day. Uh somebody came up and said when I'm drawing a door, what do you draw? Do you draw it four inches off the wall to the jam? Or do you th do it four inches off the wall plus the jam? And so we kind of like we sat around and the guy was, you know, kind of new. And so we were sitting there talking about, you know, what the value of of why one is right over the other one and, and why that is and, and stuff like that. And even just a simple conversation like that to me is part of the mentoring process and talking through little details like that of what's the best practices for the weight, how far a door should sit off of a wall on the uh, hinge side. That's where I was, what we were talking about is, you know, hinge right. side, you know, right. how far does that sit off the wall? You know, and it's just like in the whys, why do we do that? You know, well, if it's got a hold open, if it's got a, a hold open hardware, or if it's got this or that, you know, 
And so they can kind of understand the little new minutia of things really does matter. And what this guy was doing with you, Neil, is showing you why all these little inner, these little minor details that you may have missed on the thing were important because the relationships of this to that and, and things like that have a big effect on constructability. But they're things that you didn't know because you were newer and fresh out of school and you really didn't have much um, in the way of, and I'm just kind of guessing here, but you didn't have much in the way of uh, construction experience. So you were really learning how to do those things through this guy's experience and him passing on knowledge about the way that he redlines things through his experience. He says that this should be this way and this should be that way because that's, you know, what he found out in the field, you know, the best practices for things, things like that to me. And that's kind of why I said, you know, it's the deliberate passing on of, of knowledge and experience is he's going through that effort. Now you may not see it as mentoring at the time because you're just thinking he's doing his job by, well, he had to redline these drawings and he had to sit down and explain to me what all these red lines mean so that I could pick it up properly. But really what he's doing is he's doing his job by redlining them and making sure it was right. But he's actually kind of going the extra mile of sitting down and explaining to you all of the adjacencies and nuances and stuff like that, rather than just handing them to you and say, here, kid, get at it. So I'm curious. We've all kind of talked a little bit about our existing or our previous experiences. How does this how does those experiences affect what we do in our, our respective offices today? Well, a lot, a lot of what you, what I just explained about the guy, you know, sitting down with you and going through it, I do very much the same thing where I'll do one of two things. I'll either redline it out and then sit down and, and kind of talk through things, or I'll sit down with the person that I'm going to be handing the red lines off to and redline them together and kind of show them the process that I go through when I'm looking for in doing a red line set. I've kind of got a process. I've got like little checklists of things that I look for and stuff like that. And I kind of go through all of these with them to kind of show them why I do the things that I do. Why, why does this dumpster belong here and not over here? Or, you know, just little things to big things detailing things that affect the design, you know, all sorts of everything that I could possibly think of kitchen sink, the whole shebang. I'm just going to sit there and kind of throw it out there and talk about every little bit, um, bit of the project. And then, you know, when I get through the, like the architectural side of the drawings, then we'll sit down and even go through it further on why our, dis our decisions in design affect mechanical structural, electrical, you know, those kind of things and, and what to look for when you're coordinating a set with all of the other disciplines and let them really understand that this is a very cohesive process that you, you kind of need to think of everything and the whys of why we have to think of everything. Does that yeah, mean? I, I think you, we have to create a place where people know that it's safe to ask for help. And so there's oh, yeah. a constant kind of attitude, I guess, that I want to know what you think we should do. I mean, if, if somebody comes to me and asks for help and they say, 
what 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 I need to do here? I mean, a cons a common reply would be, "What do you think we should do here?" Because I want I don't want to just give an answer. I want to kind of understand where they're coming from, and I feel like like that's really important to get that investment and ownership from from that person in the project and, and get yeah. it out on the table so that we can then respond to that and say, okay, well, I mean, think about it. Like when you were in college and you had a desk crit, it wasn't, I hope, it wasn't just somebody telling you what to do. I mean, it's your project, right? And so you have to be fully invested in it. And I kind of feel like that's how we have to treat these situations in our studios now the same way, you know, it's it's got to be a safe environment. They have to be able to learn where to ask for help. And then it's not for me to just solve the problem for the person, but it's it's let's work and think through this together and and let's figure this out together because as a leader, right? If 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 my team can't succeed, I can't succeed. So if if the person who's coming and asking for for my help fails, I fail, right? Because they're the future. They're the future of my project. They're the future of my team. They're the future of the company. And so it is totally on me to pour into them. And if I don't do that, then what's the point, right? Because I'm only going to be there. I'm only going only to last for so long before this doesn't work anymore. I burn people out. They leave, whatever, you know? So I, I just feel like it's, it's, at, it's on us to create a safe place for that to happen. Yeah, and 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 I'm glad you kind of talked about the the team makeup because the team makeup is just as important of a mentoring process as kind of like sitting down and you know like I was kind of highlighting more of like a project management type style of you know mentoring as we're in like say a CD phase or something. You know, I was a little bit more specific and when we're doing this, this mm -hmm. is kind of the process of how I do it. But even as far back as the formation of the team itself and kind of clearly defining what roles and responsibilities are for everybody within the team so that at least when you're going into a project, you're going in with expectations of what, you, you know, at the bare minimum of what you should be doing and then be able to build from there and be able to have the conversation that, hey, look, you know, I know that, you know, my role as, say, the project architect is this, but I really think that, you know, as long as I can display that I know what I'm doing in this role, that I really want to learn how to do that, and can you help me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think going back and kind of establishing almost a mentor-type role within the early part, the early formation of a project team. Because I've seen where you put together a team and it's just not working. Maybe you're, you know, you get a couple of like hot-headed egos or things like that. And then you've got a bunch of other people working with them or underneath them or whatever else. And, and not only does the project itself suffer, but so does the development of those people because they're not being used, utilized the right way, or they're being pulled between egos that I've, I'm sure you've seen this happen in the past where, you know, it's just mentorship and, you know, an experience uh, are just like completely hampered by just the way a team is, which is yeah. why the way a team interacts. Yeah. And I would, I would go so far as to say that you have to add more investment outside of the office hours also. The the more personal you can get as far as 
investing into asking questions about the person's life, the more safe it's going to become. Like that investment is real. It's not just about what happens on the project, but getting to know somebody more personally, I think is going to make a better relationship and ultimately it's going to make a, a better mentorship uh, exchange, right? Because I, I feel like the more that I can listen to what that person's excited about in their life, what's going on. I mean, are they passing exams outside of the office? Are they starting a family? What are their hobbies? Just the more that I can listen and find out about that stuff, uh, I feel like that's building that relationship, right? Because like when I do mentoring in my on my project, it's much different than when we all get together for happy hour when somebody passes an exam. It's a really different dynamic, but it all feeds each other, right? Because if we can have a good time outside the office, we're probably going to have a better time in the office. And I feel like that all helps make that mentorship uh, potential even greater. Yeah, I totally agree with you. you know, and, and, and you know, oh, sorry, go ahead, Neil. Uh, I was just going to say, you said something earlier, Evan, I think is, is important that I want to touch on uh, again, which is... Uh, the feeling of being or creating a safe environment to ask questions. I think that it's, it can be very intimidating for anyone, even um, well, even somebody like myself to approach, say one of the other principals in, in the office I work in now and ask them a question or appear that, okay, I'm supposed to be someone of some, some relatively senior status. Right. And yet what I try and do, or, or it can, well, first off, it, it can be difficult to go ask somebody. And sure, sure, um, yeah. Well, I mean, you're so you're, having that. You're getting safe... paid to work there, right? So, right. So you you almost feel like I shouldn't have to ask any questions, right? Because they're paying me to work here, and I should I should have right. these answers. So I think people are a little bit more into searching online for answers rather than asking the <laughs> ASG way or whatever, well, right? You know, because right. because yeah. then I don't look so stupid. Right. Whereas in school, I was paying for that education, so I'm allowed to ask stupid questions. Right. I think that that's a big mental hurdle for people to get over. I think it is. It, it's a very difficult hurdle. Uh, it's one that everyone should try and get over. One of the things that I try and do is, in fact, actually, the the person I, that works with me right now is sometimes when she asks me something about, uh, and I'm working on kind of a new product types that I haven't worked on before, so. I don't really have a lot of experience with it. And so I, I'll be very honest with her. So to help create this sort of safe environment, I'm honest. And I say, I don't know either. And I say, in, instead of though going immediately to ask somebody else, I say, well, let's, let's spend a few minutes and try and figure it out. Let's grab the code book. Let's read this section, read that section, maybe look online for uh, something. If it's, if it's, you know, jurisdictional, about the jurisdiction and, and we go look and if we don't know the answer at that point then maybe we go we we will go ask but we go in and we ask with knowledge we say okay this is what we found we're not quite getting to what we need to know what's been your experience or what how you know how should we detail this one hour wall condition the code says this this What's, you know, what am I missing? What do, what do I not have? So I, I try and teach the practice of, A, it's okay not to know. And I freely admit I don't know things so that I can be the example of that sort of 
uh, to create that safe environment. Because if I don't know and she doesn't know something, I'm hoping that she, or, and I admit I don't, I'm hoping that she or anyone I work with knows that it's okay to ask, hey, I just don't know. But I also try and teach the fact that at the same time, if we don't know, let's try and, you know, let's find, the, go search, go look. And if we can't, if we don't find the right answer or don't have enough of uh, what we need, then we can go ask somebody. And I think what helps me at least a little bit in my office is most of the senior people in the office, I've, I've, I grew up knowing them and cause I've worked there before. So many of them I've known for 20 plus years. So to me, it's like, I can walk in and freely admit, yeah, okay. I don't know something or I'm looking for sir, for some advice where I think the challenge, at least in our firm right now is that I, at least my impression, I should say, this is my impression that I think some of the younger staff, they don't have that comfortableness or that ability to go up to one of the principals and say, you know, Hey, I, I need some help with this, or I don't understand this, or why did you design it this way? Um, or I'm having difficulty to, you know, developing the details for that. I mean, they, I don't think they really feel comfortable with that because a lot of our principals now are, they're traveling, they go to our other offices. They're not always in the office. And some of them are now principals when I worked there, they were nothing more than, you know, project managers or something. They weren't principals at the time. So I have a little bit of a different sense of them and that helps me. And I try and project that same sort of uh, openness to the people that I work with. And I, and I hope that helps. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. There's an example that I was just thinking of that really made uh, a mark one day and <laughs> no pun intended. It was my friend and mentor, Mark, who uh, sat, he was just sitting at his, at his desk. He was working on, you know, sketching and trying to figure out kind of adjacencies and stuff for a plan. And another friend of mine had come over and he was, you know, much lower on the on the ladder of of experience in the office. And he was just there. We were just kind of chatting. And and Mark, who sat next to me, I mean, he's been working in architecture for over 30 years. And so he was and he was really struggling with this layout. And and he just said it out loud, man, this is hard. And I, you know, he's been working on it for two days and he still hasn't figured it out. I mean, it was, it is a really tough problem. And it meant so much to my other friend who was just standing there to witness that, to know that you can have been in this business for that long and things can still be really hard to figure out. And he, he said, man, I'm so glad to hear you say that because like I was just struggling with something very similar and I felt like an idiot because it was so hard. Why don't I have this figured out yet? And to see somebody else who's been in the business for so long say that the same thing that he was thinking really just reassured him. And it showed him that, that this happens to everybody, right? It's not just – a lot of times I think we just feel alone, right? And if we don't feel like we can reach out and ask for help, I mean, that's that's the – it just it totally changed the environment when he saw somebody who he regarded in a much higher level he just created a safe place right there to say like i can't figure this out either like let's fit, let's now figure try to figure this out together and i think neil like that goes directly to what you're talking about right like if you're struggling with something and but you feel comfortable going to the other people in the firm and asking them it would be awesome if you just grabbed 
a really young person and said, hey, come with me and just listen to this, right? I'm struggling with this. I'm going to go ask them for help. This is how you do it. And and just to show that that comfort is just part of the job because we have to get to the bottom of this one way or another, right? I can struggle with it for a week or I can just go ask these two people over here who probably know the answer. I mean, that's a that creates that safe that safety that uh, that example of of how it should be in the office. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good point. And then also something else I, I try and actively do is that for actually just this afternoon we had a conference call with the client about a new project to talk about the schedule, how we could maybe squeeze the schedule, and what kind of the timeline that we can uh, you know be permitted by the end of the year. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why that has to happen. And earlier in the day, the person who was helping me, she came to me and she had a number of questions about the project. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know that. I don't know that it's a new project and, and neither one of us are, are familiar with it yet. We haven't visited the site. It's an existing apartment uh, complex. And so I said, well, you know, write these questions down. And I said, we have this conference call later in the afternoon and I said, well, you know, join us and, you know, we'll, we'll ask those questions. And we didn't really ask many of those questions during the conference call, but I thought it was really kind of, I, I hope it was a, a, a great experience for her to sit in on this call and at times watch the both of us like struggle because of course the client's trying to squeeze the schedule as much as possible. And we're both like, not wanting to do that and give us ourselves as much reasonable time as possible. But I think that for her, it was probably a really fascinating experience to sit back and listen on this conference call as the, the two of us uh, went back and forth throughout, uh, you know, and to see us, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, struggle would be one way to say it. We didn't, we weren't struggling, but just how did we handle the situation and talk ourselves through the process and, and negotiating with the client and everything. I think, uh, for somebody who's a year out of school, I think that's a great experience because it shows the process that we have to go through to, you know, work with our clients. Right. I mean, because ultimately that's what we also end up doing in addition to, yeah, we got to produce these drawings over here, but a, a part of our work is dealing with the clients and negotiating the contracts and, dealing with all of the other stuff that's the business side, right? Right. Well, before I was going to say before before we can even put pen to paper and start drawing something, we got to deal with the clients. We've got to go through all of these things that really aren't the first thing on people's minds when they're becoming architects is, you know, all of the business side of things. But it's really the business side of things that help enable us to do all of the, you know, fun, pretty, pretty drawings and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up because that's a, that's talking about involving interns who are involving them in the meetings, whether it's a design meeting, whether it's a client meeting, whether it's contract negotiation, you know, it's all of these little things that we're thinking that we would probably rather have them working on a set of drawings or something like that, or, you know, Hey, there's a toilet room plan that needs to get done. And rather than doing that, have them actively involved in all of these meetings, just to kind of see how a meeting is supposed to go or what may be the right way or wrong way to kind of 
deal with or talk to a client or a consultant or somebody like that. And just being there as an observer is probably just as much of a valuable tool to teach somebody something rather than just kind of like having them sit back, you know, oh, no, you just stay at your desk and, and do these drawings. We'll, you know, the grownups will have their meeting and we'll tell you what to do later on. Well, you know, that, that does a couple of different things that make people feel a little marginalized, that they're not valued as a part, a part of the team, you, that you're not willing to like share the information about the inner workings of the project because, oh, well, that's a, you know, above your pay grade kind of thing. And, and these are things that we somewhat do, not necessarily by choice or out of kind of like malicious intent. We sometimes do it just because, well, you know, we've got all of these things that are going on with a project and we do need somebody to do all of the toilet room plans while somebody else is doing this meeting and while we're doing that. But sometimes we should always sit back and kind of think to ourselves, yeah, we've got all of these things to do, but I really think that this is a valuable learning tool for the people that are on our team that are younger that have never done this before. When are they going to get this opportunity if you're not going to give it to them? That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And I think ultimately for for anyone in an office to have an opportunity to participate and see this, um, I think it also is a great way as a, as, as a mentor or a mentoree is giving them the opportunity to see these things and participate in them is that they get to learn what do they really like, right? Because it's what I think it was, um, one of you guys said earlier, you know, having these different experiences to see what, how did that work? I think it was you, Evan, that mentioned, um, you know, well, how did that work for you? Did you like doing that? You know, something like that. So by giving, the different staff members an opportunity to participate in the different activities they can go oh okay well i didn't really care for that or i don't really like doing that and i don't want you know i'd rather do this part of it i mean architecture is a big field and lots of different things that go on in an office and different um, uh, roles that everyone has to play for in, in in a firm that it gives them the opportunity to to see those things and uh, I, I just feel that that's very important for everybody. So I try and I try and provide those. And I think at the same time, the other side of that is that the client now recognizes I'm not dealing with just one person or to, or just even two people. It's like, no, there's a team involved here that is supporting you as the client to get your project done. And we're all members of that team. And I think it's important for the client to recognize that as well. Yeah. You know, it's funny as we're sitting back kind of listening to us tell these stories about where we, how we were mentored, our advice to how we mentor, how we should mentor and things like that. And I am kind of just thinking, how the hell did we get here? How did we, us three get here when we were almost thrown into the fire and said, figure it out yourself kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's, you, you think about the way that a lot of people, and it's, you know, we're not exclusive to this club. I mean, a lot of people have learned this way where it's just, you know, throw them into the fire. Hey, look, you know, we got this really crappy project. It's a, uh, it's a small little maintenance shed and, um, nobody really wants to do this project. Give it to the new kid. <laughs> and so the new kid says, well, this is great, but I've never, 
um, done anything in school that had a pitched roof on it, I don't know how to do pitched roofs. And then watch me struggle figuring out how to do a pitched roof until I got it right. Exactly. It was sink or swim until I got it right. You know, and I look back at the building. The building's still there, and I drive past it when I'm back home in St. Pete. And, you know, I, I, I look at this uh, this building, and I, I think to myself two things. One, ah, damn, that's an ugly building. <laughs> and, and, and two, holy shit, that's my first building. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it is, it's kind of fun to to do that. But then I, but then when I analyze the struggle that just that simple little building took for me to do, because there was no guidance there for me, it was just figure it out. It's, it's a stupid little 20 by 20 CMU with stucco building with a pitched roof and, you know, clay tile roofing. And it was just, it was this simple little building at least to them, to me, it was like, holy shit. It was like Mount Everest. It was this thing that I've never done before that I needed to figure out how to climb and, and conquer. And, you know, I both look at that as like, damn, first, first, I think, damn, why the hell did I do that? Or I'm like, damn, how did I do that? How did I do that with the limited knowledge that I really had with no guidance? And so I've just, I just kind of, you know, think here we all are, you know, we're, I won't say twilight of our career, but we're, we're in our career in a good position in our career, um, with a lot of experience built up and, you know, here we are in a position to be able to guide other people's education, you know, post-education education of guiding them on the rights and wrongs and and things to do in the, in the profession and, and how to kind of like get along and learn and do all of this stuff that we do every day. Um, And so we kind of see almost as, well, here was how we were taught and I would like to teach you better than the way I was taught. But I was was going to say, it's been on the tip of my tongue for a while now. I just was waiting for Cormac to pause. It's like parenting. I, yeah, I'm oh, not going to raise my kids the way I was raised. Oh yeah. I mean, my son and I had that conversation just the other day. It was like, you know, I'm trying to do better than, you know, my dad tried to do better than his dad. I'm trying to do better than my dad, just so that we can keep being better as we go. And so, you know, but I've just, I'm thinking to myself as we're talking about where we came from, you know, kind of like in the um, post-education education to where we are now, it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of just say, well, well, you know what, we had a pretty rough start or we were just thrown right into the fire or, or however we were trained and we got there, yep. you know. <laughs> well, there's lots of ways to do it. There's lots of ways to do it. Not necessarily sure we got there the, you know, the we started off way. the right way. <laughs> exactly. I, I think we could have been far more efficient with our knowledge uh, gathering if we were guided a little bit better. And I, and I think that's where, you know, to kind of circle back around to the seed of where this uh, talk came from. It was, you know, we're struggling with what's the proper way to guide people in this, like I said, post-education education. How do you, well, how do we get to... 
Yeah, I think that this is super important because if you don't, I mean, you have to think long term here. If you're thinking short term and you're just thinking about yourself and yeah, who cares, right? Because all, all that matters is you. But if you actually want your firm to last another 100 years, how, how's that going to happen if you just think about you? Exactly. There's absolutely no way that that's going to happen. And so if, if, you, if you want a legacy to actually happen, you've got to think long term. You've got to think about how that next generation is going to come up. You've got to think about how you can invest in them and give them the shortcuts and give them the experience to do better faster. And so that has to be an intentional plan on how you're going to get there because unfortunately, like we're all just too busy for that to just happen as a natural byproduct of the day-to-day business. It just doesn't happen. Right. And so right. how are you going to plan that into your day or into your week or into your month or whatever? It's it's not a full-time job, but it it's it's definitely like a series of check-ins that have to happen. Right? So what's your plan for that? And if you don't have a plan, you got to make one. And and I just I feel like this whole talk about mentorship, I mean, a question that I wanted to ask you guys is, do you do you ever think that you're going to be too old to have a mentor? Or are you already too old to have a mentor? Or, or what do you think about that? No. no. In, fact, you, in fact, if you get to the point where you feel like you're too old to have a mentor, it might be time for you to go ahead and retire. Just move on. Yeah. <laughs> <It, laughs> no, because... I, I, I totally agree. I, I, and the, I, I asked it in kind of a leading way, but I don't, I, I agree. I you should have a coach for something, whether, you know, we, we've got people who are very high in our company who have speaking coaches and we have people who are very yeah. high in our company yeah. who have business coaches and like, we can't be good at everything. Right. And right. so it is, everybody kind of sucks at something. So what can I do to augment that and make me better at something? And I feel like it's not too hard, especially with how interconnected everybody is nowadays to find somebody to help out and mentor or coach or inspire us to do better. And so there's so much opportunity for that now. I don't see how, but I see it all the time. And I guess that's why I bring it up is that I see a certain, I don't know if it's just a type of person or what, but they are just, they don't need that. They're, they're better than that. Or, or maybe they just feel like they're at the point in their career where they don't feel like they need that anymore. But, but you can kind of see areas where they clearly do. And I, I just, I don't want to be that guy, I guess, is why I. I'm... Then, then if you're that guy, then that profession, the profession's going to leave you behind because this is a quickly changing profession. I mean, you know, I, the other day, uh, bring your child to work day. You know, I had my daughter and my son in the office and. Um, stories about my son who was sitting there and he was kind of just like watching what I do every day and got to have been absolutely excruciatingly boring to him because most of what I was doing was answering RFIs or answering emails or crafting emails or writing additional service proposals and things like that, you know, and, and project manager. And I may have already, yeah, yeah was, and, and, <laughs> and I may we'll have, there. I may have, yeah, I, I may have said this before, but you know, he's sitting there and he's just like, so, so when do you draw, you know, when do you, 
you know, when do you start doing architecture? When do you do that inspiring (laughs) thing that you love? (laughs) And I was like, well, you know, this is, this is architecture. This is what, you know, we do. It's not just, we don't tell anybody about this. You actually, you you signed a confidentiality agreement. You can't tell anybody about this. (laughs) Exactly. And, and I was, and he was just like, well, what would you think if I went into architecture? I'm like, I think great. You know, if that's what you want to do, that that's fine. I mean, he wants to be an entomologist, <laughs> <fine>. but <laughs> no. So but I, but I was telling, but I, what I was telling him is is that the architecture that I'm doing is going to be vastly different from the architecture that you're going to be doing. The process may, you know, the the end result may be the same, but the process has been changing over the course of my career. And I can see that it's just getting faster in its change when he would be in there. You know, I mean, we're talking, you know, an eighth grader and in, in what, eight years he would be joining the profession or nine years he'd be joining the profession. And just think about what, how yeah. vastly different the, it would be. I mean, hell. Well, he'll be programming the robots that put you out of business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, drive your, your point home about, you know, if you're too old to learn or be mentored, then, you know, whether or not it's time to leave or not. But, you know, we had this guy who just retired. And here's this guy who is nearing retirement. And, you know, he's mastered how to, I mean, just, just create this probably some of the most amazing red lines off of just the simple tools within Bluebeam that, you know, really tell more of a story about how to do good documents than, than anything else that I've seen. And here's a guy literally getting ready to retire. And, you know, everybody's like coming to him, asking him, Hey, Steve, you're like the, the master at that at Bluebeam and stuff. Can you teach me how to do this? And, and, you know, here he is mentoring all of us, you know, how to, how to use Bluebeam properly. And, and, and again, this isn't like a 70 year old man getting ready to retire. Who's mastered, you know, like the latest software program. And even though he knew he was retiring, he still didn't stop learning. And that's kind of like where, where I was going with the story with my son is, is that this profession is going to continuously change. And if you don't change with it, it's going to leave you behind. And you might as well just go ahead and retire. Now, Steve probably should, Steve probably shouldn't have retired because, you know, he's still a wealth of knowledge, but you know, it was time, you know, I mean, hell, he got himself a new tiller, a roto tiller, and he's going to be doing gardening and all that (laughs) other stuff. And he wanted to do that, you know, spend more time with his roto tiller. Honestly, though, I think that he, he was, he typified, a guy who didn't let the profession leave him behind. So, so I, I think that that, that's somebody to definitely look up to rather than the people who are just kind of saying, eh, I don't, you know, I've learned everything that I need to learn. I don't need to learn anymore. Well, that's a very well, closed mind attitude. Yeah. Well, real quick, then just to finish this up, how do you actually ask somebody to be a mentor? To me, it's kind of like asking someone out on a date or asking a celebrity for an autograph, right? It's a little intimidating sometimes, but you guys have any tips uh, specifically about that for people who are maybe looking for a mentor? It's a hard question, really, because... I I agree, um, but I think it, it deserves to be addressed. 
Oh, it absolutely does because I mean, think you know, Neil was bringing up a point about you know the this kind of like almost fear of asking the question, and a lot of times we don't know when somebody's looking for being mentored. We should automatically kind of somewhat assume that if you're like really early in your career that you not necessarily need a, a day-to-day kind of mentor, but you almost kind of need like a a work buddy that you're paired up with that you can go and feel comfortable with asking questions about any little thing. You know, Neil brought up, you know, looking for code information and things like that and being able to ask those questions and just almost you know, kind of like a, Work wife type thing. I don't know what you call it, but just, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a work buddy yeah. type thing. Being able to shadow you somebody. You know, somebody, so, exactly. I mean, we've got an interesting kind of dynamic in our office where literally everybody, you know, like guy will kind of like turn around and say, you know, have you guys ever had this issue with um, this and, you know, or, or an egress situation or something like, you know, somebody asked today. And, you know, so we just kind of like throw it into the ether of the office and we've set up kind of like this interesting um, kind of internet that, you know, we're able to like just post questions up on, um, we call it the square, you know, you, we post questions up on the square and, and people start talking about, you know, oh yeah, I've got experience about that and stuff. So it's almost like we're not asking one specific person. We're just kind of asking everybody and, yeah. and then people kind of chime in with their own experience about it. And that, in and in a way that's almost kind of facilitating the digital mentor. But you guys don't have like an, a forced mentorship program where everybody gets assigned somebody. It's just kind of team-based, like whatever project it, you're working on yes, to kind of yeah. get people's feet wet with it. And then yeah. it's kind of up to a person-by-person basis to establish true mentorship relationships potentially in the future. I, th- I, yeah. think, I think that's pretty typical. Yeah. I mean, it does it, seem it – I, I have a little bit of heartburn over forced mentorship programs – because, you know, maybe you get a fit and maybe you don't. I mean, chances actually are that you don't uh, as far as like a long-term mentorship thing going on. I, I feel like the the more forced ones are, you know, people are just doing it because they have to then. And, and I don't feel like the investment goes as deep. Yeah, because that's not, yeah, because you're never really going to get like your best out of the person who's being forced to mentor somebody. Yeah. Um, But, you know, then there's also kind of like, you know, should like the mentoree have a guidebook or something like saying you know here are some of the things that's, that that's this know, episode right here yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it is well but, I, I the thing that worked for me not not for me as a mentee but for somebody else trying to find a mentor was just somebody else kind of being the advocate and being the middleman to they they asked me if i would mentor somebody else and so that I felt like was a great way to make the introduction and to start the conversation. It wasn't so then it, it just wasn't so scary for that real young staff member to just approach me cold and and say I'm looking for this. Um, instead, you know they they had somebody who was kind of a leader in their studio who just started asking them quest- questions, put two and two together, and said, you know who would be great for you would be Evan. And so then they came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this? And I felt like that was a great way to kind of build that or at least start that conversation instead what of doing I, the cold what, call. Yeah, Evan, I think I think if the firm, uh, I, I agree about the force part of this, 
But I think that if a firm talks about mentorship openly and encourages it, not necessarily yeah. forces people to do it, right? Well, but sees a value in it, right? Yeah. yeah, if they see a value, I mean, there's obviously we've spent an hour, an hour talking about the value of it. But I think that if the firm itself takes takes it upon itself to to encourage people to do it, then it doesn't get forced, but it encourages people and to to seek it out. I think is what I'm trying to get at, mm-hmm. and I think that that's healthy. That's good. It's a thing right? we because do, right? Yeah. Then it's just it is, like out there. Yeah, it, exactly. Then it's out there, and it's not unexpected, and and maybe almost expected that you will do that. So that, uh, and I think what that does, as you mentioned earlier, Evan, being out with people outside of the office or just even with activities in the office other than just work activities, it helps build that camaraderie that just really kind of makes you feel like you belong there. And this is a place to learn and grow and enjoy and becomes your career. Yeah, because work is not life. It's, right. it's a piece of your life. And so I think that if you can get involved in a couple or a few of pieces of somebody's life, then it really does make them feel like they're a part of something a little bit more important and a little bigger than just that one piece of their life. They're just their job. And it, it makes it a lot more personal. So, yeah, yeah it's a absolutely. good good encouragement, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, Let's go ahead and wrap this up. So, but I want to remind everyone before we go, I want to give a huge shout out to our episode sponsors, and that is RCAT. Make sure you check out all the features they offer at ARCAT.com, and we really appreciate their continued sponsorship. So go check them out. They've got some really cool stuff they've been working on that they showed off at the recent AIA conference. So make sure you check them out at ARCAT.com. And then we also have, and welcome back to HMC Architects for their support. We really appreciate that. And they've been doing some really creative things on the advertising part that uh, we've been really excited to share. So we really appreciate their support. And to learn more about them or become a part of their story, visit them at hmcarchitects.com. And make sure to visit our website at arcaspeakpodcast.com for links to our catalog of episodes and to sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to everything we mention in the episode. In between episodes, join us on the conversation by visiting the Arcaspeak Facebook page or on our individual links on Twitter and also the Arcaspeak Podcast Twitter link as well. We, we like to chat to other people on there as well. So links to all of that, again, can be found at arcaspeakpodcast.com. And if you'd like to help out the show even more than just listening, then make sure you do subscribe to the show over on Apple Podcasts. That helps uh, get the word out that other people are seeing it and get, gets us up a little bit higher on those uh, lists that uh, people do for searching for podcasts. So we really appreciate everyone for subscribing uh, and listening to the show. And please stay subscribed. And thanks again for listening, everyone. All right. See ya. Oops, sorry, I needed to wake up. That was really long. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get it a little shorter next time. (laughs) It's just like, oh my lord. (laughs) Anyway, see ya. I join the choir to sing. 
They're all competing for some other thing. I join the choir to sing. I join the choir to sing. They're all competing for some other thing. I join the choir to sing.